we've been doing over the course of the past group of weeks is we've been studying one psalm. We've been going through one psalm, Psalm 112. It's high on my list of favorite psalms. It's a psalm that I read personally for encouragement and guidance regularly. Uh, I can't even tell you over over the course of my life how many times I've read Psalm 112 especially in my adult life. When I look at this psalm, I I look at this, I think, this is the kind of guy I want to be. This is the kind of person, the kind of man I want to be, as it's outlined in this psalm. And so what we've been doing is we've been looking at what this psalm says verse by verse. It's just 10 verses, and we've been looking at it together over the course of the summer, and just thinking about the unshakable character that gets demonstrated in, in the multiple examples that are mentioned in this particular psalm. And we've been thinking about what it means to become enthusiastic for God's way in a world that wants its own way. And and we've just been looking at these topics as the Lord reveals these things. Now, we're at verse 8 today. And in verse 8 of Psalm 112, there's a variety of ways you could probably describe this verse. You could describe it with words like confidence, and I'll mention confidence a variety of, of times as we look at this today. You could also mention the word assurance. You could also mention the word steadiness, but in practical terms, when I think about the type of phrase that would be likely to go through my mind when I apply the teaching of what we're about to look at, look at to my own life, it's just this idea of looking at whatever circumstances come our way and just say, you know what, God's got this. God's got this. And so I just want you to keep that simple phrase in your mind as we look at Psalm 112, verse 8. So take your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 112. I'm going to read the whole psalm like I've done each week, but again, our emphasis is going to be on verse 8 today. So this is what it says, starting with verse 1. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. Let me reread that verse because that's our our emphasis today. Verse 8, his heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for just the privilege that it is to be able to worship you together today. We're grateful, Lord, for the fact that you are part of our life, the fact that you've given us new life through your son, Jesus Christ the fact that you have placed within us a desire to look at what your word states, and the fact that that we have the privilege to walk with you day in and day out. Lord, we're thankful for our church family. We're thankful for the opportunities that you give to us to gather together. We're grateful for portions of Scripture like we just looked at and like we'll be looking at in the coming moments 
that remind us of what it looks like to yield our hearts completely over to you. And so, Lord, we pray that as we study this portion of your word, that you'd give us your wisdom and your insight. We pray that we would apply it to our lives. We pray that we would grow in our relationship with you. We just thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your grace and your love. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I think if you asked most people their opinion on this, I think most people would tell you that at least they think they would like an easy life. I think most people would probably say that, or at least a life that's easier than the one they're presently living in some respect. But just think about that for a second. Is that something that you would really want? Would you want an easy life, or would you want an easier life? Uh, I used to think that that was something that I wanted, but over time, my opinion on that's changed a little bit. Uh, I want a good life. I want a purposeful life. I want a life that's lived well, but I've decided I don't necessarily want an easy life anymore because I've met people who have been handed relatively easy lives, and I'm, I'm sure you've probably met some that you feel that maybe have been handed relatively easy lives, and I have to tell you something, and I'll just kind of say it the way I think it. They don't impress me. They don't impress me because more often than not, they strike me as shallow and self-absorbed. They don't make much of a contribution. They don't know how to do very many things. And emotionally, they seem very fragile. Now, is that a very blunt way to say that? Possibly. But I'm just confessing to you that that's literally what I think. And I'm not impressed by that. But what does impress me is the type of person who is able to provide an easier life for somebody else, because usually they're industrious and usually they're not easily discouraged. In fact, I think they've probably faced adversity many times over the course of their life, over and over and over again, and emerged the victor. And I was thinking about that a bit in looking at this portion of Scripture, because this is a type of Scripture that talks about going through life with a sense of confidence. And it's not talking about going through life with self-confidence. That's the, that's the opposite of what this scripture is talking about. It's talking about going through life with a sense of assurance, with this idea, with this understanding that the Lord is your strength, that he is guiding your steps, and that he's leading you in a direction that his hand is upon and that you could trust him in the midst of it. Uh, I don't know, I, I don't assume that most of us will know this name, but I do know that some of us will. Do you know the name Steve Allen? So think, you know, celebrity, stuff like that. Steve, uh, all right, so I see some people, but those of us that are shaking our head, please notice there's a generational line here between those who do know Steve Allen and, and those who don't. But those who don't, you will recognize something that he helped start. Steve Allen, um, well, during his adult years, he was a TV personality. He was also a radio personality. But he was the co-creator and he was the original host of The Tonight Show on NBC. He was the original host of The Tonight Show. But uh, I learned something recently about his early life that I didn't realize before. I had never heard this before. I actually watched an interview that he gave some years ago. He did not have a very easy life growing up. His father died when he was very young. Uh, and when he was a teenager, he just got it in his mind that he was just going to run away from home. This is, by the way, during the Great Depression. And uh, he thought, I'm just going to run away from home. And somehow he had amassed $7. So he thought he was loaded because he had $7. And he said that $7 lasted him approximately seven days. So seven days, $7. He spent that money pretty quickly. 
And he nearly starved, he said, legitimately nearly starved because he had no means to be able to purchase additional food, anything like that. And so he found himself in a new spot. He found himself doing things he had never had to do before, even though it was during the Great Depression. He found himself actively begging for food. And, uh, and then when that didn't work, he found himself rummaging through trash to find something to eat. He described finding a can that had like eight beans left in it, and they probably weren't exactly fresh, but he said he was so thankful for those beans that he scraped from the bottom of a can. And then he also said it was the lowest season of his life. So picture someone going through that experience, also having it happen during the Great Depression. But then you know from the later seasons of his life that things really turn around for him, right? He becomes a major success. He becomes a big celebrity during his generation and during his era. And during that time, he would often think back to that low season. He would also think back to his time growing up during the Great Depression. And he set a goal in his mind. And his goal, like many parents of his era, was actually to provide an easier life for his children than what he had experienced. And so that's exactly what he did. He provided an easier life for them. And then at, toward the end of his life, he gave an interview and he said, you know what? I regret doing that. He said, that's what I did for them. And then I, now I regret doing that. And he said, much of my generation felt the same way because we lived in such poverty in the midst of the Great Depression. We thought that the goal of life was basically make it so your children don't have to experience that level of hardship or those hard things. We thought we were doing them a favor. And as an older man, he said that he and his generation could have done better for their children in another area. And this is him like really toward the end of his life with this, the wisdom that he had at that season. He said, we could have done better being present for our children. We could have done better training our children. And he said, um, we could have done better just giving them our time. He said, we could have, that would have been, he said, if I could go back, he said, I guess he had four children. He said, I, I think I got this right with my last kid. He said, my first three kids are very gracious. They tell me all the time I was a good dad, but I really feel like I only understood this by the time I was raising my last kid. And uh, he said, if I could go back, I'd give them much more of my time. He felt like he overfocused on making their lives easy through material provision when he should have spent more time developing their character. Now, he didn't have to say all that, but I thought that that was a very interesting observation. And I listen closely, especially when somebody is advanced in years and they're giving you a retrospective on their life because they've lived through all the seasons you're about to go through. And when someone says, all right, here's my wisdom, looking back on a season that you haven't even lived through yet, I like to listen to that because I think, Mental note, don't repeat someone else's mistakes if you can avoid making those mistakes. Sometimes that's wisdom applied, right? Where you don't have to make all your own mistakes. You could learn from the mistakes of other people. So that's Steve Allen's advice. And I think, you know, when he was thinking about, all right, I should have spent more time developing their character than trying to provide other things for them. And I think to myself, the ways in which the Lord works in your life and in my life and in the lives of his children... How has the Lord been developing your character? Can you pinpoint certain ways that you could say, I could tell that the Lord was developing my character through this experience or through this relationship? Could you trace his hand at work throughout the course of your life? You know, can you pinpoint some things that you could say, all right, this is something the Lord's really been digging deep into my mind, into my heart. He's been teaching me this all along the way. If your life and your present circumstances aren't particularly easy... Don't despise that reality. Don't despise it. 
Because I, I actually believe the Lord will use those experiences to develop your character in ways that a life of ease never could. I think if you walk with him through the trials and through the tests that you're facing, I think what will end up happening is your confidence will grow. And it's not confidence in yourself, it's confidence in him and in his guiding presence all throughout the course of your life. I think he will prove to you that he can be trusted. And I think he'll show himself to you that he, can be, that he is completely reliable, that you can trust him completely. I think you'll see it with your own eyes. I think as you see it with your own eyes and experience it, your heart is also going to become steady. And I think your heart's also going to become assured that you are right where the Lord wants you to be. And I think of that when I look at this psalm, particularly verse 8 of Psalm 112, because the psalmist describes the heart of a man of character this way. And he uses some of those words that we just used, but he says, his heart is steady. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. So what does that mean for us? Well, I think it means that when the Lord uses the tests and and the trials of your life to develop your character, I think that you could look at whatever you're, you're currently facing and just simply say, God's got this. God's got this. He absolutely has this. And you could approach whatever you're facing with that mindset. Psalm 112 tells us that a person of character has a steady heart that isn't prone to fear. That's how the person is described here. So what that means is such a person, yeah, they'll face adversity. And you can see that in the different things that are described in the entirety of the psalm, right? They'll they'll face adversity, but they're not going to be overcome by the adversity. Or he or she might face adversaries, you know, the people that cause the adversity and people who maybe directly set themselves against them. But they won't fear because they've seen the Lord go to battle for them before and they know that he'll go to battle for them again. And that's the kind of confidence and the kind of assurance being described here. I have to admit, and maybe some of you have done this too, sometimes in life, in in my own life, particularly after enduring maybe like just a stretching experience or something that really tests me in ways that I haven't been tested before, I've asked the Lord for relief. Do you ever ask the Lord to just, just give you a break for a season? Like, do you ever just go through stuff and then you're like, Lord... I know that you already know this about me, but I'm sensing that I just kind of need a pause from this right now. I actually need some relief. Is, this, is that something that, that, you would, uh, that you would choose to give me? And I don't think there's anything wrong in asking that. Um, in fact, I, I believe that in God's omniscience, he already knew that I was going to ask that and that you were already going to ask those sorts of things. But the longer I've walked with the Lord, and maybe you're experiencing this as well, The longer I've been walking with him, the more I've come to understand that my greatest solace, it shouldn't be in the thought of events or circumstances being turned around. My solace is in the fact that Jesus is present with me regardless of what I'm called to endure. That Christ is present with me. That Christ is present with you no matter what you're called to endure. So if my strength was in, or if my confidence was in my strength, or if my confidence was in my circumstances, I think I'd have great reason for fear because my strength and my circumstances always change. Those are things that change. But the Lord's teaching me to have great confidence in Him because His power is ultimate, and like Scripture says, He never changes. We were even thinking about this on Wednesday night at Bible study. We were just looking at Hebrews 6 and just talking about how it talks about the fact the Lord doesn't change. 
You know, he's, he doesn't change. There's things that it's impossible for him to do because he can't violate his nature. He's never going to lie. He can't lie. It'd be a violation of his nature, and he can't violate his nature because he's our unchanging God. And I think that that inspires us to trust him more. I think that that bolsters our faith. I love some of the quotes that people throughout the centuries have, have given us about faith, especially people who have had their faith really, really tested. And I quoted him a few weeks ago, and I want to quote him again, but Martin Luther had an interesting quote about faith and what it looks like to trust the Lord in the midst of adversity. And I want to just share it with us really quickly, because Martin Luther said it this way. He said, faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace, so sure and certain that a man could stake his life on it a thousand times. Isn't that a cool way to say that? It's like, it's just, it's this daring confidence in God's grace. You know, if you asked him, Martin Luther, what, what is faith? He said, it's a daring confidence in God's grace. I'd stake my life on it a thousand times. I've watched what the Lord can do, and the longer I've known him, the deeper my confidence in him grows. And that's the kind of faith, when I think about faith, when I think about confidence, that's the kind of faith that I want to possess. That's the kind of faith that I want each of us to possess. I think that's a, evidence of a mature faith. That's the kind, kind of confidence I'd like to experience. It's a trust in the Lord that grows so deep that we would dare to go where He leads, that we would dare to do the things that He prompts us to do, even if there's risk involved, and even if the decisions that He's leading us to make don't fall into favor with the values of our present world. It's just a matter of saying, Lord, if you tell me something, I'm just going to, I, help me get to the point where I instinctively say yes to what you prompt my heart to do. Do you know the name Frank Lloyd Wright? Is anyone into architecture? All right, so more people knew his name than Steve Allen. We'll just kind of work our way through a few names here and see, see which names we all know. Uh, but Frank Lloyd Wright, it's very interesting. I, I read something about him um, not too long ago where he was asked to actually build the Imperial Hotel in Tokyo, Japan. And if you know anything about that area, that's an area that has earthquakes all the time. And so, you know, Frank Lloyd Wright assessed the area. He was looking at it. He did studies. He actually took four years to build this thing. And he had a thought that, uh, that people kind of ridiculed him about when he was building uh, the Imperial Hotel. He, he was... He was looking at this and, and looking at the ground and assessing the area, and he discovered that eight feet below the surface was a 60-foot bed of soft mud. He's like, all right, there's a 60-foot bed of soft mud. And that made his creative mind start thinking, all right, is there a way I could capitalize on the soft mud that is right under the surface there to somehow make it so that when an earthquake comes that this, this building can use that soft mud as like a pivot spot where it could just like flow with the earthquake instead of crumbling with it. And so he spent four years working on this and he was trusted entrusted with the task. And what I read said that plenty of people ridiculed him. There were people that were very skeptical onlookers that had a whole bunch of things to say, like they had ever built something like that, right? They just thought it was ridiculous what he was trying to do, but it took him four years and then the building was completed. And almost, I can't remember exactly how long it was after the building was completed, but it wasn't too, too long. There was the worst earthquake Japan had experienced in 52 years. In 52 years, they hadn't experienced an earthquake like this. And all around the hotel, it, like everything was in rubble, except the hotel, the very thing that he was being ridiculed for. 
It was able to adjust to the tremors. It was able to adjust to the earthquake. You know, it was shaken, but it was able to adjust. I thought that was kind of interesting because there are, you know, think about this from a spiritual standpoint here. Just think of that kind of experience, all right, from an architectural standpoint, but just take, translate it over to the spiritual experience that you and I experience because there are a variety of threats that you and I experience in this world that attempt to shake our confidence in the Lord. All sorts of things. And some of these threats masquerade as sources of light even though they're far from that. And in fact, when you look at what Jesus said in Matthew 24, he prophetically warned us that those threats would come and that these days would come. In Matthew chapter 24, when you look at verses 11 through 13, Jesus said it this way. Now think about this. He said, And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. So his emphasis here is endure to the end, endure to the end in the midst of all of this. So Jesus told us that in in the last days, false prophets would arise. Now, when are the last days? Does anyone feel like we're living in the last days? I do. Uh, Now, technically, from a theological standpoint, the last days are the days between Christ's first coming and second coming. You're like, oh, well, then I guess from that standpoint, we are living in the last days, right? Right? But I don't know, something in my gut, just, I, th- I think, all right, you know, Lord, are you describing this particular area of history? He says that in the last days, false prophets would arise. Well, what do false prophets do? I think they excel at giving people the impression that their hearts are in the right place, and because of the general n- lack of spiritual discernment that could be present in the world, people would be led a- a- astray from the truth by their teaching. So Jesus warned us that that's a very common thing to expect in the, in the last times. Jesus also warned us that in the end times there would be lawlessness. He said it's going to be a lawless time and that it's not going to be a particularly loving time either. But the person who remains confident in Christ, the person who endures to the end with genuine faith, will experience the full effects of salvation that Jesus has granted them. So Christ outlines this. He explains this. He gives us this. As a, as a point of encouragement, but he wants us to think about this. And I think about this too. I was talking with somebody uh, before the, the service began. We were talking a little bit about history. Uh, notice this, okay? Notice this. Apply this to our present day, but also notice it when you read previous history. During difficult seasons of history, people do the same stuff. It doesn't matter what century you pick. During whatever century you want to pick, you could go back 2,000 years, you could go back 1,000 years, you could go back 200 years, you could go back 50 years, and you could look at today, and we all do the same thing. People do the exact same thing. It doesn't matter what era of history. During difficult seasons of history, people commonly gravitate towards smooth talkers who tell them what they want to hear. So they're looking for some level of solace in the midst of what has upset them, and so they gravitate toward whomever might tell them what they want to hear. And, if, and here's the thing. Just look at the past century. Even if you don't want to look far back in history, just look at the past century because there's plenty of contemporary examples of that human tendency. And this is how many abusive leaders and violent dictators have historically assumed power. What they do is they wait for people to feel shaken. And then they promise solutions so long as, as power is entrusted to them. To entrust me with power, and then I'll provide the solutions. And, then, and the truth is, all they really want is power. They don't really want to provide the solutions. 
And once that power is granted to them, they do whatever serves their own interests or whatever helps them hold on to power a little longer. So they get the power, then they consolidate the power, and they serve their own interests all along the way. That is a story that you, you know, something that you will see no matter what chapter of human history you look at, this is what happens. And it happens in spiritual contexts as well. And it involves a form of manipulation that's satanic. Satan delights to twist the truth and undermine it. He wants professing believers to question Christ. He wants professing believers to question Christ's claims. He wants us to doubt the teaching and the authority of Scripture. He loves when we follow trends and personalities instead of remaining confident in Christ. By the way, following trends and personalities helps aid the process of establishing false prophets in their places of influence. But following Christ, following the teaching of His Word, it helps us root them out. The kind of confidence that a person of character demonstrates in Psalm 112 is a kind of confidence that that starts to understand the way the the Lord works in our hearts and the way He transforms our minds and our thinking and prepares us to deal with adversity and adversaries in the midst of a fallen world. And it's also a confidence that's the fruit of a clear conscience. It's a confidence that shows an eagerness to be close to the Lord, not far from Him. It's a confidence that rejoices in the fact that when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit transforms us. We are not the person that we once were. We become a brand new person. We become someone who once was a rebel, who then becomes a friend of God who can't wait to be near Him. So we were once rebels who were running from Him, who become friends of God who can't wait to be near Him. And I love what the book of Hebrews shows us when you look at chapter 10, verse 22. It encourages us to be people who live near to God. And it says it this way. It says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. So that confidence, right? That full assurance of faith, confidence in Him. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. I love that portion of Scripture. I just want to throw out a couple thoughts for us to wrestle with. You know, when you look at this where it says, all right, let us draw near with a a, a true heart in full assurance of faith. Can you say right now that your heart is steady in Jesus? Is your heart steady in Christ? He's inviting you to have that kind of heart. In the psalm that we're looking at and the other scriptures that we're looking at that reference this, is your heart steady in Jesus? Are you confident in Christ? And maybe we could even ask, If you're not, would you like to be? Thomas Edison, we've heard of that name, right? I think we've hit now one that we've all heard, all right? It took us most of the sermon to get there. Thomas Edison, you know, he's credited with inventing the light bulb. And, um, you know, he drastically changed the way we illuminate our homes and the way we illuminate our businesses, even the way we illuminate our communities. But it took a lot of experimentation to get to that level of uh, illumination that you and I commonly enjoy. One particular afternoon, he was working on a prototype of a bulb. And uh, he'd spent a lot of time working on it, at least a full day. And then Edison looked, and there were these office boys that would work with him. And then there'd also be these people that were kind of observing and assisting Edison when he was doing these things. So these adults and these young people. 
uh, that would be there in his shop as he's trying to put these things together. So he puts a prototype bulb together. He's trying to figure out, how can I really produce and deliver a light bulb? And, um, and so he makes one. He thinks it's a pretty good prototype. He asks one of the office boys. He's like, all right, here's the current prototype. Take it over there and test it. Let's see if it works. And so the office boy is kind of nervous about it, but he takes the bulb and he brings it over to the area to be tested. But before he could get it all the way over there, he ends up dropping it. He's so nervous about it, he drops the thing. And everybody's mortified that he drops it. All the assistants are mortified. Edison sees this. The child that basically is bringing this thing over is devastated. He's crushed. Edison notices all of this. And um, so he decided to do something really proactive. And I thought this was really cool. So he decided to spend another day recreating the prototype. And it took him a full day to do it. Some people, uh, when they've described this event, they say it actually took more than a day. But I know that it was at least a, a full day for him to do this. And when it was done, when that prototype was done, Edison summoned the same office boy to take it from him and to bring it over and test it. So he gave him the new bulb, same boy that had dropped the first one, and brought it over to test it, and this time the boy succeeded in completing the task. And so then you obviously have all the assistants who are part of this and dedicating their time to these tasks as well. They asked him, why did you do this? Like, why would you take that risk? He dropped the first one. Why would you give him the second one? And Edison said, listen, it took me a day to make a new bulb. But if I didn't give that boy a second chance to test it, that child's confidence might have been ruined for a lifetime. So I took the day so that he could have confidence for, the, for a lifetime. And I think about stuff like that because I, I, you know, have you ever wondered or have you ever considered the fact that the Lord may be using our errors and our mistakes and our low moments to actually build confidence in Him? Do you ever think about that? A steady heart is a trusting heart. You know, Psalm 112 describes it. A steady heart is a trusting heart. Jesus wants us to trust that He can save us. Jesus wants us to trust that he can guide us. He wants us to trust that he can keep us. He wants us to trust that he will eventually glorify us. The experiences we go through this side of heaven can prove to our hearts, even those low moments, can prove to our hearts that Jesus is faithful, even when it feels like the rest of the world is not faithful, and even when it feels like we've goofed everything up, and even when it feels like maybe everyone else has abandoned us. Jesus is faithful, and he's trying to convince your heart of that and my heart of that. And we can remain confident when we look at what Christ has actually said about his relationship with his family. We can remain confident because we know Jesus will never abandon us. If you have genuine faith in Jesus Christ, are you going through life with the confidence that he will abandon you someday? Or can you go through life with the confidence that he's never going to abandon you? Not for anything. That's the kind of confidence he wants us to have. And I believe the confidence that he develops within us, I think it'll show up in all areas of our lives. I don't think it's just relegated to a small segment. I think it shows up everywhere. I think when we, leaves our, when we leave our homes in the morning, we'll have it. You know, we're approaching a new day, we'll have that confidence in Christ. I think when we face unfamiliar times as our faith in him grows, I think we'll have the confidence that we need to face that. Not, again, not confidence in ourselves, but confidence in Him and in his, in his mighty power and in the fact that He's not going to abandon us in the midst of what we're going through. I think when people we love and admire disappoint us, we'll, we'll still have that confidence in Christ. I think when we face a need that can only be met 
through his miraculous intervention. We'll also have confidence in him as we seek him to meet that need. I love what 1 John chapter 5, when you look at verse 14 says, it says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. What was the Apostle John trying to encourage the early church to understand and embrace? You don't have to have a shaky relationship with your Savior. You can have a confident relationship with your Lord, with your Savior, with Jesus Christ. You can have a confident relationship with Him. You can come before Him with boldness. Again, like it tells us in the book of Hebrews, you can enter into the throne room of God through prayer with a confidence that's not based on who you are, but on the fact that you are accepted in Christ as you come before the Father and that He delights that you're there. And the Apostle John, as he's talking to the early church in the midst of a season of, season of adversity, he says, look, this is the confidence we could have toward Him. You, he's saying, you can have this. You have this confidence. He says, He hears you. When you come before Him, you pray in accordance with His will, you pray in accordance with His desires, in accordance with His heart, When you come before Him and pray like that, He hears you, and you can be confident of it. You're not just like lost in a crowd to God. He sees you, He hears you, He understands these things, and that should impact the attitude and the mindset and the way you go about living your life. So let me say this as we finish up today. I don't know what you're going through right now. Actually, some of you, I do know what you're going through right now, but most of you, I don't. So in general, I'll just say that. I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know every last detail, even if I know some of it. But here's what I do know for certain, very, very clearly. I know the Lord is faithful. So when you're facing roadblocks or when you're going through low seasons of life, remember, He has not abandoned you. On the contrary, what I think He's trying to do is to show you through those experiences, even if he allows that experience to linger, he's going to let it linger sometimes to develop your strength. He's attempting to make you strong. He's attempting to give you that mindset and attitude that prepares you for whatever adversity you may face. He's using your circumstances to build your confidence in him. Not self-confidence, confidence in him that His power is sufficient for you in the midst of your weakness. And it's the kind of Christ-empowered confidence that produces a steady heart, just like the psalmist tells us. And I think it's the kind of confidence that could look at anything that this world or the devil throws at us and just simply say, God's got this. God's got this. Regardless of whatever it is, God's got this. Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for the fact that when we look at a portion of Scripture like this, a portion of Scripture like Psalm 112 reminding us that, that the person who trusts in you has a, a steady heart that's not consumed with fear, a steady heart and a steady life that will experience victory through you, that will triumph over adversaries or adversity, or difficulty. Lord, we're just so grateful for these things. We're grateful for the privilege to be able to look at this and see what your word reveals to us, because I think that this is a kind of attitude or posture that we desire 
It's just sometimes we wonder, how do I actually get that? How do I get to a spot where I can actually be that way? I want to be that way. I want to go through life confident. And Lord, we, we, look at, we look at what this world tells us, and this world tells us that confidence comes through things that can change, that confidence somehow comes through our changing lifestyle or, or uh, changing opportunities or our changing strength or something like that. But then we look at the totality of what your word tells us, even the words that the apostle John spoke, and we realize that our confidence it has nothing to do with what we bring to the table. It has everything to do with who you are and what you accomplish in our lives. So even when we think of what John encouraged the church to do, he encouraged the church to come before you and pray with confidence. Confident that you hear your church, confident that you act on behalf of your church. And we look at Psalm 112 and we see that this, this person of character who lives their life before you, that they walk through life with just a steady heart, an assured heart, a heart that's confident in you. They don't need to be afraid of bad news. They don't need to go about life in such a way that they're just wondering what kind of difficulty is right around the next corner. Lord, that's, that's a kind of confidence. That's a kind of assurance we want. And Lord, one of the things that I think you've been teaching me over the course of my life is that that kind of confidence doesn't develop when everything's easy. I think instinctively, I, I think I would just prefer everything to be easy. I don't particularly enjoy being stretched. I don't particularly enjoy learning hard things. I enjoy having learned them after the trial or test is complete, but I don't typically enjoy the stretching process. It's usually painful. And yet, Lord, when we look at how we actually grow, even when we think of how a muscle grows, it grows when it gets used. It, get, it grows when it gets put under some stress. And Lord, obviously our spiritual lives operate in that same way. You, you use the tests and the trials that we experience to develop our confidence in you. And the more we experience these things and the more we watch you demonstrate your faithfulness, the more confidence we have because we've seen you do this before and these things don't seem quite as intimidating as they once did because we're able to say, you know what, you've got this. This is in your hand. You've got this completely. I don't need to be afraid of this. I've already watched how you handle situations like this. So, Lord, I recognize that we could be people that learn this lesson, and we are people that learn this lesson gradually over the course of time. But by your grace, I pray that it wouldn't only be in our last innings of life that we approach with that kind of confidence. Lord, if we're somewhere earlier on the scale of, of our life's timeline, we pray that you'd help us learn this early. And if it, in, if it involves some adversity, Lord, even though we don't enjoy going through those things, we pray that we would trust you in the midst of that and just be grateful for what you're teaching us in it. And Lord, we know that you've got our lives in your hands. We know that you know what's appropriate to give to us at any different season. And so we can trust you in the midst of that. If you allow us to go through something, it's obviously appropriate for that season of our life. And you will show us that you are right there with us and you're going to strengthen our faith in the midst of it. And so, Lord, thank you for that. So, Lord, thank you again for these reminders in general from your word today because we know that each week that we face is different, but at the same time, the one thing that doesn't change is you. And you're present with us in it. 
So again, Lord, whatever comes our way, help us to have confidence in you. Thank you for the strength that you grace us with. And we pray that by your grace that we would approach every day, every week, every year of our life with a confidence that doesn't find its source in us, but a confidence that finds its source in you, knowing that you've got our lives completely under control and that your power is something that you make available to us so that we can handle whatever comes our way. We love you, Lord. Thank you for these reminders from your word today. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.